Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to The Art of Kindness, where we have compassionate conversations with artists from all areas of the entertainment industry who are using their voice to spread joy and make this big spinning planet in the universe a better place to be. I'm Robert Peter Paul, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello, friends. Happy February! The month of love. The month of celebrating black excellence. The month of freezing! Honestly, is anybody else cold? Looking at freezing and love, I'm feeling incredibly energized by today's conversation with someone who says freezing, not being cold, but being still, can actually lead to more love amongst us all. And that's really what this podcast is all about, right? It's what life is about, I think. So let's dance on over to this conversation. I feel so honored to introduce you to world-renowned choreographer and overall beacon of light, today's guest, Alonzo King. Alonzo King is a dancer, choreographer, teacher, and true thought leader. Born in Georgia to civil rights activists and now thriving in San Francisco, Alonzo remains a beacon of artistic innovation and social consciousness, especially in the dance world. Founding Alonzo King Lines Ballet in 1982 and then San Francisco Dance Center in 1989, he has tirelessly championed the transformative potential of movement, believing that dance is a universal language capable of fostering human connection. With his choreography, King seamlessly blends classical technique with contemporary vision, captivating audiences with works that delve deep into the human experience. His impact is global, as his artistry enriches prestigious dance companies around the world. Recognized with accolades such as the Kennedy Center Master of Choreography and the Dance Magazine Award, he holds honorary doctorate degrees from the Juilliard School, California Institute of the Arts, and Dominican University of California. Alonzo's brilliant thoughts took me to such a joyful place, and I hope they do the same for you, friend. I honestly could listen to him speak all day. Good news, East Coasters. If you want to catch his work, you have the chance to see it in New York City, February 22nd through 24th at Lincoln Center's Rose Theater. Get more information in our show notes. As always, please stay tuned after the interview for your kindness tip of the week with me. And find us on social media at artofkindnesspod slash at Rob Peter Paul for more fun. Now, without further ado, please welcome the kind... Alonzo King. Hi. Hello. I am so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you. I have loved researching you and getting to know more about you, and I just think you are such a beacon of light in this industry. <laughs> One thing that really struck me, and I'd love to kind of start from here, sure. is I love learning your thoughts on stillness. Mm. And so as we begin our conversation, I encourage everyone out there, unless you're 
driving a car or riding a bike or something <laughs> to join us in being still. I would love to first know for you, how do you think stillness allows us to better connect as people? I think that when you are concerned with communication, um, receptivity, and being present, that busyness can stir you up so that you're not able to perceive, you're not able to deeply listen because you're whirling in your stuff. Mm. <laughs> and so when you can calm down and become still, not only in body, but in the mind, your perceptions become very clear. Your stuff has quieted down. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in two worlds. We have an internal world and we have an external world. The external world can be subject to all manners of pollution. Mm -hmm. It's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But the inner world, we have to build or we have to, well, in children, it's very strong. And then about the age of three, it usually becomes, it deteriorates. Or when they're introduced into logic, especially if they're ripped out of their intuition. But that inner world is really your fortress. It is your um, tapping into it is your gold mine. It's your, um, it's your bank. It's your reserve. It's your, to put it simply, it's your joy. And so when the joy because of daily habit and busyness gets chipped at, as it does during, you know, the diurnal, you want to have something nocturnal that you can return to even in the midst of high noon. Hmm. So peace and stillness, that is the altar to the divine. That's what peace brings Everyone wants peace. Without peace, you go insane. Yeah. And so back to answer your question, stillness to find somewhere. It, you, you feel it in nature. Mm. And that nature is also in yourself that you can tap into. And so the, you know, the electrical wires and the hum and the concrete and honking cars and taxis mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the hum and the din of activity that kind of screechy nonstop sound, it ha yeah. there has to be an escape from that. There has to be a retreat inside of you where you can go and just feel some expansion. Mm. And then you can return and you're more of a giver because you've refueled yourself. You've re-energized yourself. You've tapped into your own internal nourishment. And so you can smile in a more sincere way. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because you cannot give from an empty cup. And That's you're, right. you're already reminding me, I always quote my nanny, my grandma, who is my idol in so many ways during these interviews because she just taught me so much. And one of the things she taught me is always retreat to nature when you're in doubt or feeling turmoil and sort of the, the perfect confluence, which you might agree with is nature and movement. So a tree bath or a walk through nature is kind of a wonderful solution to finding this stillness. And it might not seem like it because you're moving, you're walking, but it kind of allows your brain to be still like you're suggesting here. So I think this is a really awesome place to start. And I'm gonna try and get some tangible tools for doing this throughout our conversation. But since we're here to talk about kindness mainly in the arts, I would love to first know, Alonzo, what is your definition of kindness? For me, I think um, outside of the Webster definition. That... <laughs> I got it pulled up right here. I'm going to cross from it. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> that um, it's to think of others. It's to think primarily, how can I help? It's to look at yourself when you cut off your heart. Mm. It's to like be in um, ebullience, feeling wonderful. And then when certain people enter into your space, it either expands or you share that feeling or it contracts. 
And then you have to ask yourself, why am I contracting? What am I protecting? Mm -hmm. Why am I withdrawing from being a giver? Um, has fear entered? Um, has judgment entered? And so I think the question is, why does the sun stop shining? You know, that would be devastating for all of us. Mm. And so why do we stop shining? When do Why do we cut off our own internal light? And what is that about? And I think, Robert, a lot of that is based on what we think people are and how we look at them. A lot of that is in our education because we live in a world where we say that someone can be a nobody. How is that possible? Yeah. You know, yeah. what, is, what, what kind of mentality is that? You know, because of your education, because of whatever things that we're looking up to is admirable. If mm -hmm. those lack, it means we're looking at people in the wrong way. And if you look at people in the wrong way, you can cause harm because you've begun a caste system. Yes. And so this idea of someone being a nobody is a grave error in how we look at humanity, um, I think is helpful. If we stop looking at our costumes mm. and look at people as souls, these are souls playing roles. And if, when you begin to dissect that way where however this person is behaving, we're related. And so I'm not going to fool myself by imagery or by some costumes. You know, that's my brother, sister, friend, whether I recognize it or not. And the more that I go into what you brought up earlier into the stillness, I begin to recognize that there actually are no strangers and that every single thing on planet earth is teaching me a lesson. Mm. And I want to, because everything, everything on planet earth has a meaning, tree, mountain, human being, dog, rock. And so in a real education, you want to understand what, what, what those meanings are, mm. what is, what is being yielded from what I'm looking at. And that divination comes by, back to your question, getting yourself out of the way. Hmm. All the time, you know, in dance and movement and acting, theater, getting yourself out of the way in generosity and how can I help? Hmm. When we see an accident, those of us who still have some sensitivity, you're moved. And at that moment, what happens? You forget about yourself. Mm. And what does that mean? There's been a sense of compassion. You've dropped self-thought and you think, oh my God, how can I help? Mm. And so the idea of, of being useful, of thinking of others is, I think, find transformative. Hmm. You know, if you, how can you do a role if you're self-conscious? How yeah. can you be, how can you be in a relationship if you are if you aren't a listener? And listening isn't easy. No. Especially in this world, it's sort of an undervalued <laughs> skill, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the role because as an actor, that's one of the first things I thought about is in an audition which, you know, it's pretty much at home now in a self-tape, so it can be even worse. You start to spiral when you're in your own head, when you're thinking about yourself versus giving to the person reading with you or giving to your scene partner or giving to the story. So I think on a basic level, that's sort of an example of what you're saying, which is so beautiful. And it's ironic in a way, because once you sort of let go of yourself, that's when you're able to really find yourself and get sort of the gifts of life coming back to you. So I, I really love that you're saying this. I have so many questions for you. I just think you're brilliant. I'm going to geek out this whole time. I'm a big fan. And so I, I want to start somewhere back in the beginning. You know, going back a bit, you were born in Georgia. I don't need to tell you that <laughs> unless you're <talking. laughs> to civil rights. I, now I feel like I want to have an accent, but I, I shouldn't. To civil rights <laughs> activist parents. And your parents had such great names, Slate and Valencia. Is that right? okay. Slater and Valencia. Slater yeah. and Valencia. 
You know, I love how you said you got a front row seat to people that it seemed like really didn't just talk the talk, but walked the walk. Yeah. In a blanket overview, where you are right now, what do you think is the biggest lesson you took away from having them as your parents that you still think about today? I um, think about them all the time, actually, as a reference often for how I should behave. Um, They were both really generous people. Um, And I think, you know, as a kid, to be in a community where people are ready to give their lives for something that they believe in, that they're so laser focused on um, giving service to a community to help things change so Mm. that you're hoping that your efforts will be helping someone else and improving the world. And it's not just a jingle, it is really their life's purpose. And so when you're a kid and your father repeatedly is jailed, you know, a successful businessman, when your father is beat up and all of his comrades around them, when at what they used to call mass meetings, you know, as a little child, I felt so much love from that group, so Mm. much support and so much unity um, that people who were actually willing to die for what they believed in. That is, that is, there's two words I always, when this comes up, it's intimidating and it's inspiring. Hmm. Because when someone is ready to just give their life, that is, um, you know, it's no longer an abstract philosophy. It's like, this is your purpose on the planet. Mm. And so to see that and live with those kind of people and to be in a community where people um, commit to that. And I remember as a kid, they would say, okay, so we're going in this march and they would give instructions. And then they would say, now you, whatever happens to you, you cannot retaliate. You cannot Mm. say anything. You can't defend yourself. And you know, then some hands would go down. You're like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but the the but you know, but I can help in other ways. Mm. So the um I think just that just seeing that, Robert, was very transforming because it tells you what what you do, give it your all. Jump yeah. into the volcano. Don't hesitate. No reserve, no 50%. Give it up. Mm. And so how beautiful is that? So beautiful. So it means in that, in any relationship that I'm committing to, I'm ready to die. Mm. Who says that? <laughs> well, that's very admirable. And it, it beckons the question too for me, as I read about you in your choice to commit to dance, you know, choosing what we give that 100% to is really important. Because we can walk around this earth sort of trying to be this sunshiny, open person. But if we give 100% to everything we encounter, I don't know. We might not get where we're trying to go. So for you, how do you feel like you you choose that? Do you think, are you like a pros and cons list person? <laughs> <Are> you, <laughs> or do well, you, you just know, trust your gut? I think back to your statement, your beautiful statement, when you were talking about auditions mm. and how... There is a surrender. You know, we're all in a balancing act between will and surrender. Mm. And which one to use where? You know, do I fight this battle? Do I learn a lesson and let go? Um, And it brings to me the thought of Joan of Arc. She she, She brought the Dauphine back to the throne. Mm. And what did he do? He abandoned her. He was a knave. She saved France. And he said, "Mm, she may be too popular. Let the English have her. Do we know his name today? No, Mm. most people don't. Do we know hers? Yes, because she gave 
and she was not worried about reward or compensation. She mm -hmm. believed in her cause. She was hearing voices. She did not think she was insane. The ridicule that she, ridicule that she received and to be burned at the stake, but she was the real giver. He doesn't matter. That's so true. And so we have in our minds and so much of our training in all relationship that we're thinking, um, okay, uh, if I invest here, what's going to be the rate of return? Mm. It just doesn't work that way. Mm. You know, of course you want to be reasonable. You want to use your intelligence and common sense. But then there's sometimes where you don't. Mm. Because there's a lesson from the fool in love, and there's the lesson from I have the capacity and the ability to love. Yeah. Without worrying about what the return is. Mm. And, and in dance, and there's a place, music, whatever, whatever the making and doing, in parenting, in agriculture, give. Mm. I mean, that's what we're here for. To yeah. we're actually here to serve. And to love each other. Who would know that? <laughs> Except, <laughs> you know, we're here to serve and to love each other. Mm. Even if you're carrying the feeling of joy within you, especially if you're a woman, you can't look in people's faces, you know, when you're in the, when you're in the public or you're walking down the street, but you can keep the feeling emanating from you. Mm. You can see out of the corner of your eye someone who is suffering and you say, bless them. You send them energy. You don't even have to stop. You send yeah. them, you send them a loving energy. It's real. You know what? I think that's really incredible because I was almost thinking along the lines of in your personal life, when you have relationships that start to not be good for you, you, you have to put up some boundaries. But like you're saying, you can still come from a place of giving because the boundaries are good for them as well. And if you're still sending that feeling of love out there, you know, I'm a hopeless lover and giver, then you're still doing that. It's just maybe on a different level. So it's never stopping it. It's just maybe sometimes adjusting the level so you can in real time give to other places that are giving back. But I also really want to hit home what you're saying about how we remember the people that make these strong choices. I think it's the power of choice in a lot of ways. You mentioned cast earlier. I'm still kind of deep in the middle of this brilliant book by Isabel Wilkerson. I don't know if you've read her, her book cast, but it's phenomenal. I saw the film by Ava DuVernay, which is also incredible. And it opens on an example during, I think at the beginning of Holocaust Germany, where there's a yeah. mass of people hailing Hitler. And there's one person who does not put his hand up in this photo that has sort of become a historic photo. Yeah. And your, your eye is drawn to the one person. And I think eventually we were able to find out who that was. That for me, that image is just such a striking example of at no matter what the cost, going with your heart. Because at the end of the day, what are we here for? You know, we're, we're here to, in those moments, really stand up. And it can be hard, like you're saying, you know, I even know on a smaller level at the Black Lives Matter, protests we recently had in our history, it can be hard not to shout things back at people that are maybe there not to be peaceful in a way. So it's, yeah, coming from that place of giving, focusing on giving there versus maybe fighting, because fighting kind of sometimes takes away. I don't know, it's hard to find the right words, but you, you seem to be brilliant at that. So I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> Moving into your career now for a bit, as we think about all this, I would love to know, is there one major act of kindness that you feel like stands out to you as changing the course of your wonderful career here? I think um, one of the pivotal changes in my life was my father introduced me to yoga when, well, not just me, but my brothers and sisters, when we were very young. Mm. He had a meditation room and he would encourage us to come in and he'd say, just sit down for five minutes. He said, I'd like you to be, you know, please don't make any noise. And we would go and we would, you know, just try to sit in lotus posture and we would giggle and try to be quiet. Then we'd get up and leave, but it planted a deep seed. 
again about stillness that you were talking about. And when you look at what the rishis of ancient India discovered, they discovered through these psychophysiological centers in our body how to return to bliss. These, these, you know, India is the one place that looked at its spirit as a science. Mm. Like how to get back, what how to get out of the threefold sufferings of mind, body, and spirit. Um, to think that you know, the, the trap of thinking that I'm only a body or that my mind is supreme uh, or that no awareness of anything that's beyond the senses, those are detriments. And again, back to your very first question, when you come into stillness, information is given to you. You Why? Because you're listening to what's inside. And what does that mean? It means you're improving your knowing. Mm. The, the, the great minds say that you're already perfect, but you don't know it. <laughs> you have to improve your knowing and realize that that's really what you are. You're not a body. You're not a mind. You're not an intellect. You're not the senses. You're beyond all that. You're actually the unchangeable self. Find it. Spend mm. your life discovering or proving it's not true. You know, that's that's the commitment. We're here to help and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we're you not know? here to post on Instagram. I thought we were here to. And I think in this world, too, it's underrated being, quote unquote, bored. You know, no one wants to be mm -hmm. bored. It's like we leave work, we get in the car, we turn on a podcast, we listen to music, we go back home, we immediately turn on a TV show while we're cooking, we call someone. You know, I think that stillness is sort of underrated. But as you're saying, and as my nanny always says, you can be still and then watch what comes into the void. That's right. Wise woman, your nanny. <laughs> oh, she is. I wish she was on here. She's going to listen and she's going to love you and then go on a deep dive of you and send me a lot of notes about you. So I'm excited for her to listen. Hi, nanny. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> Flashing forward even more, you know, you established yourself as this really well-respected teacher in dance in many ways. You know, you're, you're a thought leader and you eventually founded the Alonzo King Lines Ballet in 1982, I believe. I don't need to tell you this. I'm just shouting facts out there for <laughs> listeners. Your decision to contribute to the world through teaching and choreography is really impactful and sort of like we were touching on before, it can be hard as an artist in this world of sort of traditional paths, although I think it's sort of changing a little bit, to commit to an art. How did you do that? Sort of how did you make this strong decision and not look back and say, you know, I should go into business and do something a bit more traditional because i think a lot of us and a lot of listeners struggle with that and there are people that have these dreams and just feel like they could never follow them because of x y and z well one of the keywords in dance and i think in all of life is balance i mean you can't um when you have kids you can't totally remain an idealist because you have to put food on the table you have to put them through school you know, yeah. and so whatever we choose as the maple, you know, that we're going to wrap our ribbon around and stay as the fixed pole star of our lives, there's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're taught. If you if you are just hard economics only, you're going to learn. So we we all let me put it this way, Robert, is that I love the word training. Mm. Europe, when we go to class, it, they don't say class, it's training, training in this room or training in this, you know, salon. Um, and that's what life is. It's nonstop training. Mm. You know, you're always going to be chiseled to find balance, whether it's against your will or not. You're going to, let me put it this way, that I'm just going to take away that you said I was chiseled. Uh, you know, my, I have a nice chin. <laughs> <laughs> that, that the whatever you are, whatever you have committed to, you're going to find obstacle. 
because obstacle is what chisels you and how you respond to obstacle. And obstacle comes into our lives not to destroy us, but to awaken what is latent and would have ordinarily never been tapped and forced to bloom. Mm. And so it's not to just, it's not to beat you down, but it's to open the door to the next step of your unfoldment. And none of us run with open arms to obstacle, but many of us with introspection say that had to happen. Mm. You know, when we look back, when we re rewind the video, that had to happen for this to occur and for this next step to unfold. And just like a boxer with any opponent, the next one's going to be stronger. Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about earlier about what word to use, you know, the fight, the, this, the warrior is, um, is a symbol and a metaphor that as a kid, just did not resonate with me. But at this point in the game, yes, you have to be a warrior. What kind you decide, but you have to be a warrior. And that most of us scientifically, which is so incredible, we're at war with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, even restless breath is war. How mm -hmm. do I defeat the enemy? We're born with an enemy and a friend, and they exist inside of us. Mm -hmm. And they're both fighting to sit on the throne of your mental kingdom so that they could be the ruler. And baby, the friend has to win, mm. <laughs> not the yeah. enemy. Befriending yourself. That, that, is, that is built into the human mechanism. Mm. And so we have to choose, okay, who who's going to sit on the throne? Mm. And you want to be the positive, supporting, ever-loving friend. And, and friendship, that's the basis of all real love, true friendship mm. in whatever form. And in true friendship, you're really caring about what that other person, what their experience is, not yourself so much. What can I do? Mm. I think everyone feels it when you have a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I need. I have to make a change here. I have to do <laughs> a diaper <more>. change. <laughs> yeah, literally. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're so right, and it is. It comes with a lot of acceptance too. Sort of sometimes you have to just accept that that quote unquote negative voice or enemy in your head is always going to be there, but you don't have to feed it. You can sort of feed the friend, and then eventually that other voice will get quieter and quieter. You know, you talked sort of about this in your TED Talk, which everyone can watch on YouTube, which was so wonderful. You had this idea of urging folks to kind of stop defining themselves with labels and sort of limiting themselves. You know, how did you come to that as a person? Did you have to learn that through obstacles? Do you feel like you limited yourself at a certain point in time and, and just found it not helpful? I think that most of the definitions that we use to define who we are are too small. I mm. think we're underestimating who and what we really are. Um, but back, you ask beautiful questions. And so they oh, keep, thank you. I have so they, many of them. <laughs> they keep coming back into my mind. It's like, okay, let's go, let's go back to that one. When I was talking to you about my father introducing me to yoga, so... Later on, when I was about 17 or 18, he introduced me to Paramahansa Yogananda, who's the, auth the author of the autobiography of the yogi, hmm. and called the, the, the father of yoga in the West. And autobiography of the yogi completely changed my life. It was like night and day. And so in the TED Talk, these aren't my, this isn't my personal ideas. These are mm. ancient truths on how to live on planet Earth and how to make it work. Um, and so tapping into that ancient history, and I just want to add that one of the, the bigger faults in our education is that we have this idea that we have come from an inferior past. 
and that we are now at the pinnacle of, of civilization. And it's yeah. absolute nonsense. We don't understand the pyramids. We don't, well, you know, all of these ancient truths, we don't, we science hasn't, they're grappling, but they have not conquered or understood what ancient Egypt knew. And so this idea that we have come from an inferior past is a big mistake. We need to be looking to the past and tapping into that wisdom. And that is what yoga is about. Hmm. How to live on planet Earth. What works, what doesn't work. It's a science of how to get back to joy. That's hmm. really what it is. And yeah. I'm not talking about just, you know, the asanas, the postures, but the real concentration and focus of Raja Yoga. Hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a key. It's a key to happiness. It's a key to joy. And I think uh, that's what made all the difference for me in my life. Hmm. That's so cool. And it is a science. I work with an organization called kindness.org, shout out. And they are sort of the preeminent researchers actually treating kindness like a science. So they yes. have a lab where they're actually doing research to find out why when you pay someone a compliment, does the data prove that it not only makes them feel good, but it makes you feel good. Sort of a, a reciprocal effect there. So it's interesting in that regard how sometimes we separate the sciences and, and the arts and the maths and all that. But it certainly can play into each other. And when I, I look at you as you're talking about yoga and movement, you know, how do you see the role of dance specifically at your studio and, and beyond kind of nurturing not only artistic talent, but then fostering empathy and kindness in your students? Do you see a correlation there? I do. I think um, when people say the world of dance, most of the time they're talking about the Western world of mm theatrical dance <laughs> yeah. and for me the world of dance is not only everyone but it's planets moons suns and stars mm. you know everything is movement and sound the the majority of, of of the sound that's being made human ears don't hear but nonetheless space is making sound all the time and to to make sound what has to happen you have to move <laughs> Yes. It's movement. You know, there's a swoosh. There's an energy shift. It's mm. movement and sound is the Big Bang Theory. They're inescapable. Mm. Um, do you have a so, favorite? Sorry, you're just reminding me. of. Do you have a favorite sort of way that the world dances? Like, I love leaves moving on a tree in the wind. I think they kind of do their own beautiful little dance and the sun kind of hits them differently so that they start to look like different colors. Do you have anything like that? <laughs> Uh, everything like that. <laughs> mm, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, everything like that. Waves, sunlight, mm. you know, the wind you can't see, but you can see its effect on objects around them, or the energy between people, the way the faces are shaped, the way people hold themselves. Mm. I think when you're a child, you are, you can tell when adults are saying one thing, but their body is saying another, yeah. or their vibration is saying another. Mm -hmm. And you pick that up, you know, because the child is intuitive and it comes from that um, Southern expression that says, um, I don't like anybody my dog don't like. Because, <laughs> because the dog mm. is listening to the vibration, you know, an energy of that person. Mm. Um, that's but so yeah, true. to answer your question directly, um, kindness has to be a part of your movement. And where, and where does this all come from? It comes from thought. Where do ideas come from? Thought. What is tech, where did, did technique come first? No, the thought came first, and then you build the technique to make the reality of the mm -hmm. blueprint. And so what does thought do? Thought is how you behave. The way you think is how you behave. Mm. And so that's a beautiful equation. Why? Because behavior is movement. 
how you behave in the world, how do you move in the world comes from how you think. Back to that idea of, again, can I look at anyone as a nobody? Mm, yeah, I hate that phrase as well. That's some that's some poor thinking. You know, do I look at a seed as a nobody? No, because that seed has the potential to be phenomenal. Mm. And if that's not in your belief, then that's a problem to not, you know, when you're training, when you're working with human beings and they've given you their time and attention, you look at them like the, the most beautiful crop. You see things that they don't even see in themselves yet. And when you feel that maturity or when you see them in transformation, to be around that is so inspiring because you're seeing the focus of their concentration carving what they will ultimately become, how you think. And so training, people think it's legs and feet. No, hmm. that's you know some mechanical part of it. But how you look at and how you guide the mind and the heart, because the mind and the heart is what is playing the instrument. Mm. That's what's playing the instrument. And so you may have a fantastic instrument with a small mind and heart that needs to be expanded or yeah. tapped into. It's that idea again of improving your knowing, mm. improving your knowing that, you know, there's so much here, my friend, that, that you haven't discovered yet. Mm. And that's what we're all here for. Who does not want to expand? Who does not want to look back on their life and say, I've changed. I'm not a psychological antique. I've actually changed, <laughs> grown, I've transformed myself. That's yes. a beautiful thing. Yes, that's what a story is. It's, it's an arc and the stories we tell ourselves, <laughs> like you're saying, are so important because if you have this narrative where you're saying, I can't dance, I can't paint, I'm an awkward person. If you tell yourself that every day, that's what you're gonna kind of be. And we it's think- It's an maybe... affirmation. It's a negative affirmation and yeah. they work. <laughs> they do. And we think they maybe work. telling ourselves that gets us ahead of the joke or something or is funny, but it ultimately hurts us in the end. You know, one of the things you're kind of hailed for being wonderful at, as I've come across, is this real human connection you create with your choreography. I was wondering how, well, how do you do that? But are you aware sort of of, I'm sure you are, incorporating the audience and, and wanting people to feel certain things with the dances you choreograph? This question's kind of <laughs> not really fully formed, but I just think you it's know, really I, beautiful that you have that human connection with your art. And a lot of us come from this other place, like we sort of were touching on, you know, I'm going to write this book that's going to be on the bestseller list. I'm going to put this great performance on and we're not thinking of the giving. And so yeah. how, do, how do you do that with your art? I think that what you brought up so beautifully in the beginning about nature, mm. so many of us, <clears throat> are denatured. And often those braces or those impediments are part of the training. And you say, you know, is that tension necessary? Mm. Where, is, where is naturalness? Because in naturalness, there is a relaxation and a sense of being in the moment and more importantly, listening. Can I be in a conversation where I do all the talking? Can I be in a, yeah, right now, right? I, <laughs> I mean, I could listen to you all day, yeah. <laughs> can I be, can I be always the driver? No, it, it, there's no play again of will and surrender. Hmm. You want to drive and execute and with execution, there's always a little bit of tension. How do you execute and relax? And then you want to move away from the steering wheel and be the passenger. And so those two work together. Mm. You know, will again and surrender. I don't want to do all the talking. 
you know, how, how is that respecting my relationship? And so in the dancing, acting, novel, painting, composition, there has to be a dialogue. Most people, <clears throat> if they're honest, <clears throat> writers will say, I don't know, how, that I, I can't believe that came out of me. Because there's moments of sub sublimity where something is sublime and you really can't claim authorship. You know, mm -hmm. let's get real. You know, for the, the majority of art from the ancients that we have in this world, there's no signature on it. Mm. And if you speak to composers and say, do you have a favorite piece of music? They'll all say yes. And when you say, well, tell me about that piece of music, there's a book called Conversations with Great Composers. It's an old one still out there. I recommend it for people. And they would say, this was like a gift. And what I couldn't grasp or remember, then I go to trends at the time and certain techniques. Hmm. You know, so there. what am I saying? That there is an inner teacher, and that's what you're trying to do is you're trying as a teacher you're trying to arouse the teacher that is inside of everyone so that you can get out of the way and they're mm -hmm. listening to themselves in that balancing act i know i'm talking too much and you're about to close oh no you're not i have extra time if if you could hang on that if when you let's say you're analyzing a work as a dancer because a dancer is also a choreographer and a mm. dancer is a musician. No escape from it. A lot of people don't see it that way, but you are a music. A dancer is a musician as is an mm. actor, music and movement, movement and sound, you know, big bang theory. There we are again mm. and again. And so there's a place where you can look at choreography like a musical score. What is, what is the choreographer doing here? Uh, I see this is an acceleration of speed. I see this is a diminution. Here there's a largeness. Here I'm going into an idea. This is, this is physics and this structure. So you're really intuiting what is being said. You have an opinion about it because the author is not the last word on anything. Hmm. You know, people know that has to go. Hmm. You know, when Chopin talks about, oh, my God, listen to what Liszt is doing. He's talking about what he's doing to Chopin's own composition. And so we're saying what? That the, that the, the, the audience, the hearer wants to say, I never thought of it like that before. You know, that's part of the gift of, and, of originals. And that's why you want to work with originals, people who are really thinking in a different way, and they're not playing Simon Says, and they're not painting mm -hmm. by number. They've gone in to that stillness that we brought up. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, Robert, they have to take that and throw it all away and say, what should this be? Again, role, novel, painting, child rearing. What is the definitive where there could be no other choice and you bring into it impersonal analysis. And so you have your feeling and your thoughts about what you think are, and then you have impersonal analysis, which makes you more objective. And it also helps you from becoming an egomaniac. Hmm. And so you're looking at it repeatedly from different directions. Now hmm. I'll show <laughs> no, please don't. That Everyone's probably going to rewind that and listen to it over and over again because it's so important for any kind of artist or just in life in general. Thank you for that. You know, I love that you, you see everything as movement in a lot of ways, I've heard you say. I really just think it'd be wonderful to get your thoughts on how you see kindness as movement. Sort of what, what would you picture kindness as movement being? Sunset, sunrise, it's movement. We can look at sunset and see the colors. We can look at sunset and see it in terms of just design, the dome of the sun against the flatness of an ocean. Mm. Already there's structure. There's the igloo, 
There's the flat, long plain. The disappearance of that dome making an equal sign towards the end and then merging with the flat plane, becoming one, two becoming one. And so there's metaphor. Um, you can see it as the end of the day and the beginning of another day somewhere else, this regular cycle that's repeating like a caress. And some people will look at sunset and say, what's the big deal? When do we eat? But those who, I mean, there's, it's for, you know, everyone has a different place to plug into. And so I think that a mother and child, it's said that that is one of the closest forms of pure love. You know, that the mother is selfless. It's, I mean, the child has already been ravaging that body, you know, mm -hmm. and she's there like, you know, what more can I do? And often I've heard women say, I, I, I really understood what love really was when I had my first child. Mm -hmm. And so I think, Robert, if we're still, there is, um, it's our actually, it's our natural being. To be kind. Hmm. That is really our nature, to have the heart open. When don't we do that? When there's trauma in our lives, when there's fear, when we're overwhelmed, and then again, back to stillness. Because that is really our natural condition as beings of light. And so... When the trauma comes in, like <clears throat> abstract paintings that are coming at us, you know, objects, how do you steal that? Or how do you say, how do you step back from it and look at it like a movie? Hmm. Yogananda says that when life gets too much for you, he says, look to the projection booth, look back. It's a movie. <laughs> Look back and see where it's coming from. Being of shadows and light coming from projector. Don't take it so seriously. Mm. I love that. I'm, I'm going to like paste that on my wall. I feel like there's also a lack of vulnerability sometimes in today's world. I think people are scared to be vulnerable. And I do feel yeah. like vulnerability is sort of the fuel that moves the kindness train forward in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I wonder for you, before we sadly end our time together, do you have any sort of tangible tips for how people out there can access that vulnerability and be kinder? I'm sure it has to do with stillness, but anything specific you think people out there could do maybe on a daily basis just to make the world a bit brighter? I think meditation is the key hmm. to still the body. There's a, it's a, it's a term called conscious passivity, hmm. where you don't lose your awareness, but you sit until the noise quiets down. A famous a saying in all of yoga is that a glass that's stirred with muddy water is just confused. But if you wait long enough, the mud will subside. Hmm. And then there will be clarity. The mud and all of the world will subside. And then you can see. And so those quiet moments, just a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes before you go to bed, where you, you, you use your tuning fork to come back into yourself, mm -hmm. to come back into a place of quiet, all the busy day, you can, re you can reflect. How did I behave today? How could I do better? What were my lessons? Uh, how do I want to change that tomorrow? And then stop. Stop thinking. Try to just be quiet. Still, just tapping in in the morning when you wake up and at night in that place right between sleep, dream, that you mm. stay, you stay passively conscious. Mm. So tapping into those, just like we talked about sunrise, sunset, and a regularity, 
will create expansion. It will open doors. It will have you tune into what is closer to yourself. And when you feel that self, then when you go out into the day, you say, oh, have I left that self that I felt this morning? How mm. am I behaving now? You know, again, back to thought, the way you think can destroy or can build your life. What are your thoughts? Mm. So when you when you step into stillness and you find peace, and then after peace, there's love. And then after love, the next progression would be joy. And then when you go into the world, is it diminished? Is it challenged by this or that situation? And so you remind yourself, go back to that feeling that I tapped into this morning and that I tapped into last night, which is more <clears throat> of who and what I really am. Mm. It's going back to that word training, too. I think we have to train our brain sometimes to do that. It, it just takes one day starting to stop. You know, I used to be someone who would zone out a lot in school, and I think zoning out's kind of underrated. You get in trouble for sort of just letting your mind go wherever in class, which maybe it's inappropriate to do that while the teacher's talking sometimes. But, <laughs> but I think there's something to that, like you were saying earlier, that childlike nature, sort of embracing our inner child. When I know for me, I was a child actor, and it was so much easier to just, quote unquote, book a job, because I was just there to have fun and do what I love to do and just be uh, in that moment. I didn't understand we were rehearsing in a studio space and then moving to a stage. I didn't know what was going on, but I was just sort of along for the ride. So all this, I think, is going to be incredibly inspiring to our listeners. I do want to make sure before we close out that you just touch upon the fact that you're going to be performing with your company at Lincoln Center in New York City this February. Can you tell everyone a little bit about that? We're going to be at Rose Hall. And Robert, I'm, this is so bad of me. I don't remember the dates. I think it's the 21st or the 23rd. Yes, I think it's that weekend, the weekend of the 20, whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> I'll add it to the bio if you want. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> but everyone, please make sure you go check this out because I'm sure it's going to be equally as transforming watching your work as it was to take in and listen to all the wonderful things that you've accomplished in your life. And the fact that you've given us all this to think about is truly amazing and full circle in a lot of ways because we talked a lot about the importance of giving today. So during this month of love, this month of you know Black History Month, February has a lot of sort of labels that we attach to it. I think it all comes back to giving and you can give when you're still. You can't give from an empty cup. So now I'm just spiraling. You know, I'm trying to summarize everything you said. But it was so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much uh, for your time. It was, it was so lovely to meet you. And to have, to have a channel that talks about kindness, it's revolutionary. I mean, oh. who, who, we still don't know how to love one another. Isn't that strange? It is strange. And so to, to have a channel that's devoted to kindness... And the, the aura that comes from you, I'm so um, honored that you invited me to come. And it's been a beautiful experience. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm honored that you gave me the gift of your time. I feel like I'm going to listen back to this and learn even more. But I do feel like just on a present basis, this is going to change the rest of my day and week for sure. And I hope you keep doing what you're doing out there because... It seems to me like you're helping people choose love over fear in all these moments. And I think love is what allows us to build that friendship, that human connection. And that's what we need more about there because we're a lot more alike than we are different. And I think the world will be a much more beautiful place if everyone came and took a class with you, which you can online. <laughs> I took a YouTube class with you. I watched some of the class you taught, which is really fun. So keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's really changing the world. And I look up to you a lot. We need more people like you. I feel the same. Aww. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And now it's time for your kindness tip of the week. Woo! I need to listen to that one on repeat. Alonzo, thank you so much again for your time. February also brings about Random Acts of Kindness Day and Week. It's our time to shine, friends!
I want to encourage you not to be random with your acts of kindness, although I know that's the title, (laughs) random acts of kindness, but be very intentional. Think about how you want to spread kindness this month. The random aspect can come into play with who you choose to spread kindness to. For example, when I go into a grocery store, I'm going to intentionally choose to give someone kind words, a compliment, if you will. I might not know who, but I am challenging myself to pay at least one random person a compliment while I'm in there buying my Nutella. (laughs) Sponsor me. As Alonzo said in today's episode, kindness is innate. It's in our DNA. It's within you. So it should be an easy choice to make. Thank you for choosing to share this audio space with me. Oh, audio hug. And until next time, please remember, everything is going to be A-OK. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.